Welcome to TribeCast. I am Forrest Walden, founder and CEO of Iron Tribe Fitness. And on this podcast, I am going to help you find your tribe and maximize your life. Welcome to TribeCast. I am Forrest Walden, founder and CEO of Iron Tribe Fitness. Excited this morning to have a special guest, Jim Warren. Jim, thank you so much for being here, being on the show. Well, happy to be here, Forrest. Thanks for the invite. Okay, so Jim um, has an extensive background that I'm excited to share. Um, He is also a franchisee of Iron Tribe Fitness, so we are business partners building our businesses together uh, with his son, Jamie, who's the operating partner for five locations in Nashville. Uh, But that came much later in his story. Jim actually cut his teeth as the managing partner uh, for one of the largest uh, accounting firms in the Southeast, actually one of the largest in the nations, and I'll, I'll let him talk about that. But he's been married 50 years two kids, six grandkids, and just being in Birmingham and being around Jim, he has a legacy of investing in and developing others. Can't wait to talk about that this morning. But Jim, introduce yourself, tell the listeners kind of who you are and how you got to where you are at this point in your life. Okay, well, I'm just, I feel like I'm pretty much an ordinary guy. Uh, I don't think there's anything really special about me. I've just been very fortunate and blessed over my years, starting with my marriage. I got married fairly early, Betty and I. been married 50 years as of May. Uh, and I say this is one of those things, just choose wisely. You pick a great wife, and it is uh, hard to go wrong. And Betty's just been such a great life partner and uh, just part of who I am. She makes me a much better person than I would be without her. So that's, uh, she was 20 and I was 22 when we got married. And so we've been at that for, for quite a while. I still don't have it figured out yet, even after 50 years. <laughs> so uh, we always have, that's a, that's a great challenge. And uh, then uh, my business background really goes back to the, uh, my first stint was I did a, a year in the Air Force, I went through pilot training, was in the Air National Guard. So I came back, I was in the Montgomery Flying Unit, and so my first job was in banking in Montgomery. I really enjoyed the financial side. I did had no accounting courses except one basic course in college. So I decided to go back to school. I was working full-time, went back to school, was in the guards. It was a busy time in mm-hmm. life. Uh, went back to school and got an accounting degree. And shortly thereafter, was asked to join a local firm down in Montgomery. And then a couple of years later, uh, moved up here, joined the firm that has become now Warren Averett. And so for the last, I was a manager partner there. I had various kind of staff accounting type positions and became managing partner in 1984 and served in that role until I stepped down in 2011. Okay, so anybody in Birmingham and probably in the Southeast would be no stranger to the name Warren Averett. I mean, you guys have been dominant in the accounting uh, industry. You're a well-known name, well-known brand. So walk me through quickly, like the process you started, I'm assuming is just a regular accountant kind of worked up and merged and now your name's on the sign. And like, how did all that happen? Well, uh, we had like, uh, like a lot of other accounting firms, we had sort of people come and go, and our, uh, the partners that actually founded the firm, uh, they chose other pursuits, so 
I just sort of rose to the top, if you will, but I also had some really good business partners. Uh, Jerry Kimbrew and Randy Avert are my longest uh, tenured business partners. So we just really did well. We have a good mix of talents. We don't duplicate each other. And it has really been helpful over the years to, to watch that sort of teamwork take place. I uh, really couldn't have done any of this without them and a lot of other people. And I always like to say about Warren Avery, we did. Uh, we became, under my tenure, about the 70th, 75th largest accounting firm in the country. And then since my leaving, they've kept growing. They're about the 30th largest accounting firm in the country. And I always say, you know, nobody was, was more surprised than me that we actually were ranked nationally under my under my leadership. Uh, we never set out to do that. We always just set out to do really, really well with the clients that we serve, take really good care of them. And our niche, if you will, would be the locally owned and operated businesses in Birmingham and surrounding areas and wherever as our footprint grew by adding offices just in the local communities where those offices were located. We just wanted to do a really good job with locally owned and operated business and professionals like physicians, dentists, attorneys, uh, architects. That was sort of our niche. And uh, we were just blessed in all of that and God granted us favor and all good things happened, and you know, lo and behold, we find ourselves one of the largest accounting firms in the country. Very cool. So, as your role managing partner, were you actively doing accounting that whole time, or did you morph more into managing people, growing the team, setting vision? Yeah, morphed more into that. I, 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 I'd like to tell people I started out as a pretty good accountant, and at the end of my career, I wasn't much of an accountant. Uh, we had really good people that were way smarter than me. So most of my time was spent in managing people, trying to give vision, but also some key relationships with our most important clients. I always sort of kept that relationship with those with those people, and they deserve that. They deserve to be able to talk to the CEO and have a relationship. So I tried to tried to spread myself around to our most important clients. Okay. And so give us an idea of what does it mean to be the 30th largest in the nation? Like what type of headcount, like what measurement is that evaluated okay. on? Okay. So uh, it's typically the, the count is either on revenue, depending on the surveys, either on revenue or the number of professionals in your organization. Uh, so we, you know, we would be like right now around the 30th largest, which would be about 900 people uh, across the across the organization. And when you left, how many, what was the head It was count? about 350 yeah, when okay. I left. Yeah. And so you were managing 350 people. And if you're trying to give access to the CEO, that, that's a lot of one-on-ones and a lot of people issues to think through and a lot of vision to cast, right? Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. Cool. All right. <clears throat> so... Excited to talk about some of these topics with you. Uh, I want to start with body. I mean, you're 72 years old, in your golden years, and you and Betty are in Iron Tribe, I know at least three days a week, maybe more than that. Talk to me about your fitness journey uh, over your career and what it's looked like and what you're doing now. Okay, great. Yes. Uh, I was, like a lot of people, I was active in high school, You know, played high school sports, uh, football, basketball, went to a small high school. And once I got to college, just sort of didn't do much anymore. I really inherited some really good genes. So my family doesn't have a lot of fat genes, if you will. So for the first 
you know, 20 years after college, but say between 20 and 40, I could eat what I wanted, not exercise, and you could not tell the difference. Mm. I, you know, it look, looked in shape, but I was not. I, I noticed in my late 30s that my having a desk job and you know, a lot of sitting, that my legs just literally hurt every day. So that was the impetus. I, I joined a, a gym. Uh, it did a variety, not group classes, just mainly just facilities, sort of worked out on your own. It was better than nothing, uh, but that really kind of got me on my fitness journey. Then we uh, got some equipment we had in our basement, weight machine, treadmill, elliptical trainer, and I was would do that three or four days a week, just a small mixture of, of uh, some resistance training, weight training, and some cardio. Uh, it was enough to kind of keep me going. And so that's sort of between age 40 and about 65. Okay. That was, that was, my, that was my routine. Uh, and if, uh, if you'd like, I can tell you my iron track Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Too. Go ahead. Okay. Let's do it. So... Uh, uh, we had uh, one of the things that I enjoy doing is helping other entrepreneurs. I love entrepreneurship. I love helping uh, other people. So we had a young man uh, that was uh, introduced to me who had a business plan for starting a functional fitness gym in Nashville, Tennessee. I didn't know much about that, but I liked him. I liked the concept. So I, I jumped in. I talked our son, Jamie, into being part of that group because I knew Jamie had had a, at the time had a marketing company, so I knew marketing would be important. Sort of, I cajoled him into jumping in there. And uh, in the meantime, in the year when we were trying to get that ramped up, uh, Iron Tribe offers uh, franchises. So we thought that would be an awesome opportunity rather than doing some sort of independent, unbranded, kind of do it ourselves. We knew uh, Iron Tribe had a off to a really great start here in Birmingham, so it was a no-brainer for us, and we were the second franchisee of Iron Tribe. So uh, we weren't quite first, but I think we were about a week late. Uh, interestingly, both uh, the first and second franchise were in Nashville, Tennessee. We actually had adjoining territory, and as uh, good fortune would have it, we were able to acquire the number one franchisees. They had two gyms at the time, so. We acquired those a couple of years after we got started, so we now have the five gyms up in Nashville. Uh, so after becoming a franchisee, I said, I'd never even been in an Iron Tribe gym. Well, I was just about <laughs> to say, help me remember. I can't yeah. remember if you were working out before that happened or you started yeah. after you so purchased I was, it. I was, I was, you know, working out at home, and so I said, I don't really think I need that, but, I, you know, being a franchisee, I at least need to see what it's about. So I just had... Uh, uh, I, I had gotten a, a, an ability to do just the introductory course. It was only six weeks at the time. That was an exception. Uh, I found somebody who knew somebody and got an <laughs> exception to say, I'm just going to do the six weeks just to see what it's all about, and then I'm going to go back to my home gym, and that'll be sufficient. Of course, uh, my story is like a lot of others. By you know the end of the first session, I'm hooked irrevocably, and uh, so we've been working out uh, at the gym. So <clears throat> in addition, after within a year, uh, my wife, who is, a, who is a non, she will tell you she's not done anything, any kind of sports or physical activity. And she started and it just loves it. And, and we go now, our daughter and son-in-law live in Greenville, South Carolina. 
they were uh, early members of the gym up there, and they continued to stay active. So it's become a become a real family affair. And Jamie started in my garage <coughs> before Correct, yes, the franchise yeah. even opened. So <coughs> yes, yeah. uh, he and I go way back. In fact, we were on a mission trip <coughs> to India, and I was right. working out in the hotel room. He's like, what are you doing? I said, mm-hmm. man, you just need to come to the garage. So Jamie's yeah. been a longstanding member. Yeah. Um, and you guys, so that means you've been doing Iron Trap classes, you and Betty, for, what, seven, eight yeah, years going now? On, so, yeah, seven going on eight years, and Betty's like a year behind me. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so what do you find that does for you now, energy-wise, mobility-wise? Like, how is that helping you guys at, you um, know, in your 70s? Well, it's it's uh, been so helpful, and I had a rude awakening. I thought I was in pretty decent shape, and I was not deconditioned at all because I was doing kind of, you know, good 20 minutes of cardio a day of uh, some kind, usually the elliptical, and I found out my variety was not well, and the intensity was just missing. There's nothing like being in a group fitness class that is like the secret sauce big mm-hmm. time. So mm-hmm. you'll end up pushing yourself way more than than you would uh, if you were by yourself. In fact, I found out how important that was about three or four months into Iron Tribe before the gym up in Greenville was even open. We went to visit our daughter, and so I just went down to the basement and said, this won't be so much. I'll just do a good travel workout. I got even got a little music going. Oh, it was so hard doing that by myself, you know, just there's nobody else to encourage me or, or to really kind of keep up. And I found out that, you know, that that alone is worth every penny I pay to Iron Drive each month. That's awesome. Uh, just have this group environment. You really see how important that is. And even this morning, just the, the people, I, I, right before this interview here, I've just been at the gym. I'm still in my workout clothes. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, just the group out there, and uh, we normally go to the 8.30 class, so th- those people have become friends, and they've become sort of co-travelers uh, on the journey that we're on, mm-hmm. and so it's been it's been awesome. So I found that uh, I need this for just the energy for the day, for some mental clarity. It's a good sort of way to start my day. Uh, I tend to be a night owl, and I'll get up and kind of go to the gym first thing, and so that's the way we start most every day, unless there's something else that comes up. We basically are committed five days a week to, to working out. I would suspect <clears throat> most people would think there's no way I could do that at my age or at yeah. your age. And I, I guess you're one of the older people in each class. Like, yes, yeah. What do you tell people when they are shocked to hear that you go to a functional fitness gym like Iron Trout? Well, it's, it just shows that anybody can do it. And what's been really interesting to me, so we're six, seven years, I'm into my 70s, and I still haven't topped out yet. Uh, we keep up in Iron Tribe with, with uh, our personal records of what we do, like, you know, just have a, like, what can you deadlift? Well, I've not hit the peak yet. I keep adding to that five, 10 pounds every time we'll go through a cycle where we do that. So... I know I really haven't hit my potential yet, even at 72. So that's really that's so been cool. uh, that's been a lot of fun. So that kind of keeps me going, knowing that I can I can do more. But it was it was really interesting after having not really done anything that intense. I thought I was in pretty good shape, and I'll never forget getting on the pull-up bar for the first time. <laughs> you know, 30, 40 years ago, I could do pull-ups. I got up. I couldn't even do one. Mm. You know, and so I was on the journey to do that. Now I can, you know, I can knock out a bunch yep. <laughs> now. So, 
So I would just say for anybody, it's never too late to get started uh, with the coaching and the way we can scale all the movements. There's no reason for anybody not to be part of Iron Tribe and really having leaving that in part of their life. I think it's really important. It's an important component. Uh, I heard somebody say one time, unless you have mastery over your body, it's hard to have mastery over any other area of your life. So true. Yeah. Man, that's so true. So, and that's a great place to get started. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, <clears throat> and it's just so beneficial in so many ways. I mean, bone density and, you know, stay, keeping all the chronic disease at bay and just, I mean, this, yeah. the benefits are innumerable. Yeah. Okay, so you articulated that well. Let's go right into balance. In May you celebrated 50 years of marriage. I mean, in our society, when marriages are, you know, the half are ending in divorce, and it's so rare to see a couple like you and Betty um, still in love and still growing together at 50 years. Talk to me about that, what she's meant, what what your family's meant to you as you built this, you know, very successful business. You didn't do it at the expense of them, so talk to me about that. Uh, well, I would love to say I didn't do it at the expense of them, but I, I would say the balance is by far the most difficult. I had lunch with a young man about uh, four weeks ago who asked me the same kind of question. He's got three girls, and he's uh, really doing well in his career, and just said, how do you, how do, you do it all? And I said, it's hard. It is hard. (laughs) It is really hard, and it never gets easier in my experience. Uh, The sort of the pressures change, but they're still there. Uh, Like even even up to to being a grandfather. Uh, And I have seen, it's all tied back to whether or not you have responsibility. We were out in Colorado recently on family vacation, and you see some of these guys, you know, they're like ski bums in the winter. They do, you know, guiding trips, uh, fishing trips in the summer. They have a great life. But most of the time, they have no other responsibility, have no family. So it's easy to do that. So that really was a good reminder to me. Uh, and many of us, we, we want to serve other people and do that well. So we accept responsibility. But with that comes uh, a commitment and it's kind of interesting on in all the areas that pull from your life, they don't coordinate that with one another, right? So mm-hmm. you, you may have commitments to family and commitments to business. And guess what? They both intersect yes. at the same time, at the same day, and you have to make choices about that. So I, I think just get used to the idea that you have to manage that just like anything else that you would manage that's important to you. And just know that's an ongoing challenge for the rest of your life until you decide you don't want to serve other people and you have no responsibilities to anybody else. But it just sort of comes with the territory. I wish I had the magic formula of how to make that work, but I I don't. And I would say there were many years where I prioritized work way over family that I shouldn't have. It's one of my biggest regrets in life. But... As I mentioned, I married this awesome woman who is so forgiving and so loving, and God has just redeemed all those years, and we've got this awesome relationship now, but that's way more on her than it, than it is on me. <laughs> and um, I can understand that. Yes, and I am also really grateful to our kids. Uh, I, 
I was not nearly the father I wish I had been, especially in how I spent time with them and prioritized them along with my work. But again, God's been gracious. They've turned out really well, more thanks to their mother way more than me, and we've got great relationships. It's been uh, really, really fun to be in business with uh, our son, Jamie. That's been a real privilege, and just to see how well he's done and how well our, our business is doing now, and that's really because of him. I'm just sort of a I'm on the I'm on the sideline. I do a little coaching and some cheerleading and help out in the business a little bit. Uh, but he's the one that's really made that made that happen. Our our daughter is a full time mom, but she homeschools, and so that's a, a full time job for her and with her kids, uh, age fifteen, twins fifteen, and uh, daughter age ten. Uh, she's a master of her domain as well. So it's really great to see them thriving and to have have a great relationship with them. So I've just been the beneficiary, I guess you'd say, been blessed in so many different ways. Well, take us back a month ago to your 50-year celebration. That had to be overwhelming to have everyone, you know, celebrating that and you seeing just generationally the fruit of this marriage. I mean, oh, how was that? It was it was awesome. We uh, we had friends there. The the invite list was pretty big. Uh, so we have friends going back to college. So we have, uh, there was one couple there, uh, the Nolans, Rodney, Kathy. They live here in Birmingham, and we've known them since before we were married. Wow. Uh, we were at Auburn together, and Betty uh, did not go to Auburn, but when she would come to visit me, she would actually stay with Kathy in the dorm. And so we've known them a long time. So we had people that were there uh, on that basis, but we also have had people that we've known less than a year who are in our current small group. We lead a, a group of young married couples. So these couples just starting out in life, been married less than a year, mm-hmm. and they were there. And like we consider them all family. They're just like family to us. And so everything in between. So people we've known a long time, just a short time, uh, family that was there. So it was it was a great great time just to celebrate God's goodness in our lives. Yeah. Okay, well, perfect segue, because what I really wanted to have you on the show to talk about is the being domain of your life and how you and Betty have intentionally chosen to invest your retirement into um, really investing into others, uh, sitting on boards, which we'll talk about, um, growing small groups that have multiplied in your home and now have replicated outside your home. We'll get into all that. But I want to start with, uh, you know, I just had David Platt on the podcast last week, and I know he's someone who's uh, very meaningful to both of us, both had yeah. a significant impact in our lives, uh, with me with really questioning, am I disconnecting the blessing and the purpose, really changed the trajectory of my life. Talk a little bit about that because uh, I know David had a big impact in your life and really has led to how you're choosing to spend your retirement, just following yeah. him. And of course, it's not David, it's David pointing us to the word and it's Christ. But yeah. talk to me about that. Well, we uh, had been members of another church here in Birmingham and, and almost on a dare, I uh, said, We just ought to go hear, hear David speak one Sunday. And that was probably within the first month of when he had come as a pastor at the Church of Brook Hill. So uh, God has sort of arranged all of this. It was the first time in 30 years that we had not had any other responsibility on Sunday morning. 
we didn't know why, but it's pretty obvious now that freed up some time. So we went to the church where we were members, and we drove out to Brook Hills, heard the sermon. Well, the next week, we said, oh, I wonder what he's going to say next week. So he was in the midst of this sermon series, so we'd like kept going the next Sunday and the next Sunday and the next Sunday. And so we just felt like God was moving us to, to that church. So sitting uh, with under David, just really preaching the word week after week after week and hearing the gospel week after week. Uh, it dawned on me, it was December of 2006, that uh, even though I was culturally a Christian, people would identify, I was like, I was a Christian because I looked and acted like most Christians do. But I really had not yielded to Christ as my Lord. He was like this great advisor among other advisors mm. and really didn't have, did not have lordship. I had that lordship. And so on December 24, 2006, uh, God just overwhelmed me with the reason uh, of my existence and my great need to have a Lord and a Savior. And that's when uh, it was impressed upon me. I need to quit running my life and turn that over to Jesus. So all that was through just David faithfully preaching uh, gospel Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Okay, so let's time out here for a second. You were a member of a local church for 30 years. Correct. You were active in that local church. Yes, you were yeah. leading in that local church. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you weren't saved. Correct. And um, whether you had never heard, or obviously you had heard the gospel, but it had just never brought you to the place where you realized, man, I have not submitted to him as Lord. Yeah. So at in 2006, I mean, you're what you're in, already in 60 years old at this point. Yeah. And you realize, man, I've lived my, the yeah. bulk of my life, and I'm not truly a Christian. That had to be humbling to come to that point. It was very humbling, but part of it, uh, it's also very tiring to try to live that kind of life on your own. Uh, we aren't wired. We're not even created to be that way. So it's no wonder it takes a lot of energy to do something in a way that God really didn't intend. And so part of it was just being tired, mm. you know, just really being tired and frustrated that, you know, there's got to be more to life than this, right? So it's like you just know internally this shouldn't be this hard, right? So That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. All right, so here's where it gets exciting, and this is the whole focus of this episode and this show. All right, you, 2006, so you had five years left at Warren Avery. You were yeah. winding down your career. Yeah. You were about to achieve what the American dream says we're all after, and that's to build something so that we can eat, drink, and be merry, right? Yeah. Coast off into a comfortable retirement, um, and yet you are being called to something more. And so what I want to talk about is what does it look like now for you and Betty? You're retired, but you guys are probably working harder now than you ever have. Talk to me about just the ministry in your home, uh, some of the boards that you're sitting on, mm -hmm. how you're choosing to spend your time, talent, and treasure to impact the kingdom, and you're not selling off and you know buying a yacht in South yeah. Florida and playing golf. So, talk to me about that. Yeah. Well, it probably would be best to maybe to kind of chronologically talk about this. So, all right. So, I really uh, started following Christ about age 60 at Warren Averett. We had a five-year sort of transition plan. It was uh, one that uh, I helped design. So I was like one of the first guinea pigs doing it. So the idea that 
you can transition out in a very orderly manner and uh, the client service would not suffer. You'd get uh, additional people serving those clients and it would be good for them, good for the firm. Uh, so that's the path that we started down on. So uh, kind of think of stepping down a little bit each year in your terms of your responsibility. For, so the first year when I did the step down was when David started his ministry called Radical. And uh, I was asked to serve on the board, which I agreed to do. And it uh, initially, there was all the stuff that you would do anytime you start a nonprofit, like you need employees, you need office space, you need open a bank account and uh, you know, get payroll going, just all the stuff you'd normally do to start up. And most of that stuff was just in my wheelhouse. So I said, well, I can do that. I can do that. So the kind of that, the time that I was released from at the CPA firm, uh, I devoted that. It was nothing close to full-time and radical that first year because I was still at pretty much a full-time job at, at Warren Averett. And so we got things kind of off the ground and got going, sort of basically in place. And about that time, uh, the book Radical came out and nobody expected it to really be a big a bestseller, but it was. And that really was a springboard for uh, making Radical kind of famous and uh, sort of being a household, almost a household word in church circles today. So that really increased the demands on Radical because people wanted, wanted to know more information. They wanted, they wanted stuff, they wanted you know, some advice. So we basically tried at Radical, tried to serve anyone who was not a member of the Church of Brook Hill. So we uh, tried to uh, intercept and serve those people well. And so one thing led to another, and I cut my uh, five-year transition to one year and then left. <laughs> uh, thankfully, I had uh, a great, my replacement was, he was more than ready to, to step in. So I went back and talked to my partners and see could, could this happen. And in fact, they did sort of let me out early. And so I became full-time executive director at Radical. And a job I'd never done before in nonprofit world, but it was really fun to uh, to do that and get that going. I'm, I'm an entrepreneur at heart, so that was almost an entrepreneurial activity, even mm -hmm. though it was in nonprofit world, where you want to try to uh, have an organization really be effective. And in this case, we just wanted to be a megaphone for David's ministry and his speaking teaching. So we would uh, arrange uh, speaking arrangements, travel arrangements. Uh, for him and really anything that was happening outside the church. That's what Radical did. So that's what we did. We had a staff of five or six. It would include uh, writers, some you know web people and all the kind of things you would normally do when you've got a, got a nonprofit. That's so you did that for four ministry. years yeah. mm -hmm. and then you helped transition the new executive right. director, Chris right. Hunsberger, who serves yep. now. I'm, just, mm -hmm. I'm assuming you were involved in that process. Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. So talk to me about the small groups, when that started happening, and because you guys have a legacy that's uh, pretty amazing of this yeah. small group movement in your house. So. Well, that was, uh, it's really connected back. So let's go back to December 2006. I said, all right, I'm ready. Lord, you can... You're going to run things now, so you you tell me what to do. And uh, as uh, as God in His wisdom, so the very next thing that David taught after that December was he did a, 
uh, did a series called Follow Me. And I said, how appropriate. <laughs> so, great, I need to know how to follow me. And it's like, well, let's make disciples, you know. Share the word, show the word, uh, teach, the, teach word, the word, and serve, serve the, world. the world. Yeah. So I just started to do that. So uh, we had always been interested in our previous church. We'd served the young marriage before, and we were being discipled at a time by uh, one of the guys at Brook Hills. And so in May, we launched our first small group of young married couples. It was just like, okay, we'll just do that model. So that's exactly what we did. And it was really amazing the first night, because uh, nobody really knew us. We were new at Brook Hills. Nobody really knew us. But the first night, uh, well, we had connected uh, with one couple that we had asked to be kind of part of this launch. They were newly married themselves. Uh, and so that was the four of us. But we had 16 other people, eight couples join us that night that we didn't know. They just had, you know, read about we're starting a small group on Tuesday night. So they all came and none of them knew each other. It's really kind of neat to see how God put that together. So we started with like twenty the first <laughs> the first night. And God has just blessed us with people since then. So we have uh, we like to mature and launch out uh, groups so they will stay with us from anywhere from eighteen to thirty six months. And uh, we launched them out, and God has always, he's just been faithful to send more people our way. So that's where we are today. We, that was group one, was in 2007 on, in May, and we're now on group 17. Oh, wow. <laughs> so for the last 12 years, yeah. is it still Tuesday night? Tuesday night, so For yeah. the last yeah. 12 years, your home on Tuesday night has been devoted to these young married small groups saying, yeah. you know, here we are with this wealth of 50 years of doing some right, some wrong, lessons yeah. learned, and you're able to pour into these young couples. And so when you say send them out, these groups are now replicating outside your home yeah. where the someone who came in as someone who was seeking advice maybe left as someone equipped to go teach others, right? Yeah, that's the whole, that's the whole plan, yeah. And that is the model of multiplication. That's yes. what Follow yes. Me was all about. Is yeah. like, look at Jesus' model, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he was all about replication, right? Multiplying. Right. right. Yeah, so we want to have them be disciples who make disciples, so both locally and globally. So we try to go on a mission trip every year somewhere in the world. And our first trip was down to Peru, and that was just life-changing for me. Uh, and for Betty, and to then to see the impact on our young married couples, kind of set them on that pattern of life where they uh, that's just something that we do. We're going to think locally, both locally and globally. So when you do that mission trip, is it with the small group? Yes, that's our uh, almost always, and sometimes depending on where we're going, sometimes uh, Church will ask us, hey, can some other people join us? We say, oh, absolutely. So we've got no variety of people, but typically we'll try to do that. Mostly it's with our small group. And mission trips are amazing. If you've never been on one, highly encourage. I mean, you've heard yeah. me talk about it. It changed my life in 2007. Yes. Very similar pattern to yours here yeah. under David's teaching. I had never experienced it. It wrecked my world. But it is most impactful when you are going with a group that you've been studying the Word together with, yes. right? I mean, yes. it's just a sweet, sweet time. And so you just rattled off what uh, Follow Me was all about. But that is the model. That's right? the model, yeah. Yep. So it's that simple. I mean, we don't really do any more than that. You know, so we really teach the Word on Tuesday night. We 
we talk about the application more so. We have great teaching on Sunday, uh, so we don't have to redo that, but we say, okay, so what does that mean? You know, so, so now what? And so that's been kind of our emphasis. How does that really play itself out in our lives? So that we get to talk about our, our uh, failures and our successes in those, in those arenas of life. It's inspiring to me. Yeah. So of the 17 small groups, how many couples do you think you've had come in and out of your home? Oh, if you were wow. to guesstimate. Hundreds. So we typically would have 10 couples, so think 150 to 200. Man, what an impact. Uh, thereabouts, yeah. So it was really great. And at our 50th reunion, I think we had couples from almost every one of those groups. Wow. Some, someplace. But they're literally scattered all over the world. I'm sure. really kind of neat all over the all over the United States, but around the world, uh, we've got couples that, you know, uh, on almost every continent. You know, so <laughs> it's really, really kind of neat. I uh, love it to know. Yeah. Okay, so that's a huge part of what you and Betty do together. But that's not it. Um, I know you're still involved in Radical. You're on the the board of Crazy Love with Francis right. Chan. Yeah. Uh, a couple other boards you mentioned. What else are you doing with your time now, other than supporting Jamie and? You know, my biggest franchisee in five locations is Nashville. I know that's a chunk of your time. Yeah. But, but what do you? What else? Yeah, that's that's uh, that's sort of the, the primary business pursuit. Uh, I'm on the board of Youth Ministry 360. That doesn't take a lot of time. Got a really good team there that does that. Uh, so I just get to to give advice uh, from time to time. We we meet formally quarterly and then informally with phone calls and just meals together, that kind of thing. Uh, the uh, Crazy Love Radical on the board there. And um, so that and small group, really kind of that's our time and our family. Mm-hmm. So that's we don't do much else. So kind of think family, small group, kind of church-related things. I've served uh, as an elder at, at Brook Hills, and I'm on, a, on the Global Missions Committee there now, that team. Uh, so... Church, family, small group, Iron Tribe business, Iron Tribe as a as a participant, mm-hmm. and that's pretty much our life. <laughs> so, that's so awesome. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to say it again. I already said it once. So you have, by any measure, you've been extremely successful um, with with the accounting firm. I mean, what a uber competitive space to be one of the thirtieth mm-hmm. largest now. Um, I mean, that's part of your legacy. And you hit what the American dream says is the ultimate, to be able to retire, to be able to retire relatively young, healthy. Like, you know, the American dream would say you should be building bigger barns and, you know, yeah. playing golf. And, you know, but you're not like you are you're investing your life. So I guess in conclusion, I have to believe there's a lot of people listening to this podcast who are seeking that next thing and mm-hmm. just a constant pursuit of building and growing and sometimes as you mentioned that comes at the expense of these other domains it yeah. comes at the expense of our body sometimes the expense of our marriage and our kids and sometimes unfortunately the expense of our relationship with christ so you at 72 getting to look mm-hmm. back i mean if what would you say to your 30 or 40 year old version of yourself listening to this podcast mm-hmm. and so, it, that's it. What would you say? What would your message be? Well, I, things changed you know, dramatically for me once I started following Christ. So 
If you do that, that will almost demand your getting life into balance more. And Betty can tell you that, like Jamie can tell you, people who know me know that something did change, something happened differently. So I would say that would be the first thing is get your priorities. You know, who really is your master? It's not you. You know, we, we may not recognize that Jesus is Lord of the universe. We may not acknowledge it. doesn't change the fact. He is Lord of the universe. And the Bible even tells us that one day every knee will bow uh, to him as the king of the entire universe. So let's get that right early on. So that would be the first thing. And that would that kind of helps get every other, every other thing in balance because as we see how he lived his life, he demonstrates how to do that on earth. He had great balance. He worked hard. He, he, but he took time to rest. He took time to, he took care of himself. He spent time with his father. And so we see this thing played out. So that would be probably first and foremost. And then I would say, uh, really remember what's important and what's long lasting. And it's not business success. We see relationships are the thing that really lasts a long time. And so invest way more in those than you do just in business success. Because it is, it is not deeply satisfying. And we've been really grateful uh, for the success that we've had at Warren Averett and the success that God gave us even at Radical, how that grew. But that kind of thing does not really, in the end of the day, satisfy you. Mm. So uh, keep in mind what's important and stay focused on that, and that will, uh, that will help bring balance to your life. Wise words from a yeah. wise man. Jim, this has been a great show. Um, I got a lot out of it. Uh, undoubtedly, our listeners will. Thank you so much for coming on and look forward to continue to build our businesses together to impact others, uh, both you know inside the gym and outside the gym. You guys are an inspiration to Mindy and I as we think about our next stage of life. And just thank you for being on. Well, my honor to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Great. We will see you uh, next week on TribeCast.